WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports, Lou Dobbs, Business. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yeah, that's me. Five o'clock. Good morning. It is Tuesday, April 25th. Your forecast now from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today a little chillier than it has been. High 50. Tonight, overnight, few passing clouds, low 45. Wednesday, mostly cloudy, high 60. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 42 and partly cloudy in Spring Valley up in Rockland County. It's 37 in Princeton, New Jersey, and it's 47 and clear here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up to the 6 o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning yesterday I pulled out the WABC van out of the parking garage uh, to do something with WABC. And uh, as I uh, was about to pull it out of our garage uh, right here in our neighborhood on the Upper East Side, there was a guy at the garage waiting for his car. Now, I should point out I've driven this van many times before. Nobody's ever said anything to me. This all happened on the same day. The guy who's standing in the garage waiting for his car looks at the van and he says, Hey, do you work at WABC? And I said, yes, I do. And then he proceeds to tell me how much he loves the station, which is, you know, of course, always great. He goes through the entire day telling me who he likes, who he doesn't like, Curtis, uh, who he loves. He goes on and on and on. And it's always interesting to hear what people have to say. And so I said, okay, you know, and I was left with a smile on my face. I pull out of the, uh, of our garage. I start heading to the west side. I get between, now again, I've driven this van numerous times and I've never had anybody say anything to me. So this is the first time inside the garage someone's saying something nice. Then I get to between 6th and 7th Avenue on 51st Street. This is about 2.30 yesterday afternoon. And uh, it was, you know, heavy-duty traffic. And this guy pulled up beside me. So he had to pull into the parking space because this is only one lane. He pulls into the parking area and he rolls down his window. And I'm kind of stuck there at the light. And he starts telling me how awful the radio station is. And not in kind words at all. And he's just, he's almost, I almost thought he was going to get violent. Like, that's how intense it was. He was just staring at me. And it was window to window. And I had my window down. And I'm like, do I roll it up? Do I keep it down? Do I respond to this guy? And he's going through telling me how we're ruining society and how we're at fault for everything that happened bad in the world. And it was just so odd because... Nine minutes earlier, this guy had told me exactly the opposite. Thankfully, he did nothing more than that. He rolled up his window, and I drove off, and I didn't see him again. But uh, just kind of bizarre. All in the same day after driving this van so many times before, and nobody saying a word. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. The Trump rape trial begins here in Manhattan today. Joe Biden may make a big announcement this afternoon. Two incidents in the air on planes out of New York. City Teachers Union begins their bid for a new contract. And a New Jersey Little League has figured out a way to quiet those obnoxious parents. 
All right, let's get into it. 504 jury selection set to begin this morning in a civil rape trial involving former President Trump. The charges filed in New York by writer E. Jean Carroll, who claims Trump assaulted her in a Manhattan department store dressing room back in the 1990s. If you were listening to Sid and Friends in the morning yesterday, Trump's lawyer, Joe Tacopina, saying this is kind of a strange trial in a couple of ways. One, of course, is that Trump denies the charges that E.G. Carroll is making, but also that they will pick a jury today and also do opening arguments on the same day. Normally in a trial, especially if somebody as high profile as a former president, it might take weeks to pick a jury. But this judge says, no, 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 he's no nonsense. He says the jury will be picked today. Here's Joe Tacopina. I've had jury selections in cases with much less notoriety where it's taken weeks to get a juror. But I'm told I'm told this judge plans on picking a jury within a couple of hours. So right now the plan is to possibly, I should say, possibly open tomorrow afternoon or Wednesday morning. So she also claims E. Jean Carroll that Trump ruined her reputation by denying the attack. Former president responding on social media saying he does not know E. Jean Carroll. He's never met her. Trump may have to pay damages if he's found liable. The trial is expected to last about a week. But the thought is jury selection and opening arguments could take place today. 505, that's not the only problems for the former president. The D.A. in Georgia's Fulton County sending letters to law enforcement officials indicating that significant decisions about her investigation of former President Trump are coming this summer. District Attorney Fonnie Willis said in her letter that she would be announcing what she called charging decisions during Fulton County Superior Court's fourth term of court, which starts on July 11th. She also informed Fulton County Sheriff Patrick Labatt that her letter serves as notice to allow him sufficient time to prepare his office and make arrangements with local, state, and federal agencies to ensure that law enforcement would be ready to protect the public. The AJC reports Atlanta law enforcement officials were sent similar letters. I'm Liz Kennedy. 506, a first-in-the-nation climate research education and jobs hub is coming here to New York City. 77 WABC's Alex Barnard joins us live with this story. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Noam. And yes, that's right. Mayor Adams says the New York Climate Exchange, as it's called, will be a 400,000-square-foot campus built on Governor's Island for research and development of climate solutions to be scaled across the world. Fighting climate change is a real battle And it's a battle that we are going to not only lead the nation, but we are going to win. Transforming our city into a global leader in developing a real climate solution and building a cleaner, greener, more prosperous future is what this project is about. A Center for Climate Solutions initiative will create 7,000 permanent jobs, support thousands of students, workforce trainees, and researchers, while supporting businesses through an incubator program. It will be led by Stony Brook University, and here's Stony Brook University President Maury McInnes. Where K-12 through students will come to learn about sustainable living. Where workers will come to get trained for green jobs. Construction is scheduled to start in 2025, and the hub will open in 2028. 
WABC's Alex Barnard, thank you very much. WABC News Time 509, uh, people not behaving on flights again. United Airlines flight bound for Israel, landing back in Newark after a passenger got into a shouting match with crew members. The disruptive passenger was on Flight 90, which departed from Newark Airport on Sunday morning. But the plane made a U-turn about three hours into the 10-hour trip. The airline confirmed uh, some people on board getting some footage of what took place. Sounds kind of quiet, no? Sounds like a normal flight to me, but an eyewitness uh, telling Israeli media that this unidentified man wanted to use the bathroom and chose to wait in a seat assigned to crew members only. When a flight attendant chastised him, the man got into a shouting match with the employee who threatened that if he did not leave, she would turn the plane around. That's like being in the back seat of the car and not behaving and your dad telling you the same thing. But this was an airplane full of people. The apparent, uh, the man appeared not to believe the warning from that flight crew member who said they would turn the plane around. And guess what? They did. They turned the plane around because he was too disruptive. And uh, as you might guess, when he got to the other side, there were cops waiting for him. Not sure if he was arrested or not, but those people who were three hours into their flight, had to wait a full another day to get on another flight to go to Tel Aviv. And he wasn't the only passenger that was misbehaving. This one's even more bizarre. An American Airlines passenger taken into custody at JFK yesterday uh, on a flight from JFK to New Delhi. There was an argument on board between two passengers on this American Airlines flight that ended with one passenger urinating on another that's a that's a new one for me how does that even happen i mean uh, i well i guess you can picture how it happens but urinating on another passenger on a plane okay just bizarre all right five twelve. u.s embassy staff and their families are safely out of sudan i could not be prouder of our team uh, most of whom are now en route back to the United States. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the embassy temporarily suspending operations as fighting continues between the Sudanese army and a paramilitary group there. I directed the temporary suspension of operations at Embassy Khartoum, and we conducted a successful operation to safely evacuate all U.S. embassy personnel and their dependents. Yes, so the issue is, is there are Americans who are still there who are not part of the diplomatic corps who are trying to get out. One of them, our own WABC's Alex Barnard's cousin, who's a commodities trader there, who's apparently driving to an airport 600 miles away. We continue to be in close communication with U.S. citizens and individuals affiliated with the U.S. government to provide assistance and facilitate available departure routes for those seeking to move to safety. Well, we will point out that for a while now, maybe more than a year, the American government is warning people, Americans, about living in Sudan. Uh, Here's the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. American citizens have begun arriving in Port Sudan, and we are helping to facilitate their onward travel. Yeah, okay, so there was some thought that you were on your own, but they say if you get in contact with the... Uh, well, there isn't a diplomatic corps there anymore, but if you get in touch with American authorities, they will try to help you find a route out of this. We are actively facilitating the departure of American citizens who want to leave Sudan, as the State Department has been urging them to do for years. 
Yeah, one American has already been killed in the fighting. We have deployed U.S. intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assets to support land evacuation routes, which Americans are using. And we're moving naval assets within the region to provide support. Yeah, it's bad there. By the way, it's been bad in Sudan for a long time. 513, let's bring it back home. President Biden says he'll officially launch his reelection bid real soon. The thought is it's going to come today in the form of a video. This comes as several reports that Biden could release this video this morning, declaring that he's formally jumping into the race 2024. Uh, here's reporter Kristen Walker. He's likely to tout progress on jobs and infrastructure, with sources saying a key theme of the video will be to finish the job. But our new NBC News poll shows only 41% of Americans approve of Mr. Biden's job performance. So apparently, if we believe this, Biden's been huddling with his family and advisors and reportedly discussing a low-key announcement and a low-key campaign. That was kind of like the last one, right? The low-key campaign in 2020. uh, That was all from the basement in Delaware during COVID. 70% of Americans, including a majority of Democrats, say they don't want Mr. Biden to run again. 48% of them citing his age as a major factor. Mr. Biden is 80 years old. Yeah, so it looks like he's running. Uh, President Biden, by the way, yesterday honoring the nation's teachers at the White House. Teachers hold the kite strings to lift our national ambitions aloft. You really do. Just imagine if we didn't have great teachers in this country. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we say good morning to Justin Ellick. Well, good morning, Noam Layden. After weeks upon weeks of waiting and wishing for Jets fans, their dreams have finally come true. The news that Aaron Rodgers will indeed be under center for Gang Green this upcoming season. Yesterday, the Packers agreed to deal the superstar quarterback and their 2023 first-round pick and a 2023 fifth-round pick to the Jets for New York's 2023 first-round pick and 2023 second-round pick and a 2023 sixth-round pick and a conditional 2024 second-round pick that becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of the plays this season. The blockbuster comes 40 days after Rodgers announced on the Pat McAfee show that his quote-unquote intention was to play for the Jets in 2023, forcing negotiations between the Jets and Packers to dominate the NFL headlines in the weeks thereafter. But it's all said and done now, and Aaron Rodgers will be wearing green uh, this upcoming season. Now for local action last night, let's begin on the ice, where we saw the Rangers' momentum in their opening round playoff series against the rival Devils completely switch hands in the form of a 3-1 to loss to New Jersey in Game 4, effectively making the Blue Shirts' dominating start to the series a distant memory now that things are suddenly knotted at two games apiece. Even though the score reflected a close game last night, New Yorkers overmatched in pretty much every facet of the game. Head coach Gerard Gallant made that point abundantly clear in his post-game remarks. I feel like there wasn't enough, not commitment, you guys obviously were trying, but just not enough desperation to get to the spots you needed to be in. I agree 100%. Yeah. Very disappointing. You get... Not good. Not good enough. Not even close to good enough. Yeah, not even close to good enough indeed with the win for the Devils. New Jersey now retains the home ice advantage as the series heads back to Newark for Game 5 set for this Thursday night. The Islanders have Game 5 of their series with the Carolina Hurricanes set for tonight at 7 p.m. in Carolina. They'll be working to hopefully dig themselves out of a 3-1 series hole. And finally on the diamond, the Yankees fell 6-1 in their three-game series opener in Minnesota against the Twins. Johnny Burrito was once again underwhelming on the hill for New York. you got to stop putting that guy out there to start games, to be honest with you. Unable to get himself out 
of the second inning while the offense was nowhere to be found either en route to the bomber lost will try and rebound in the middle game tonight set for 7.40 p.m. Eastern Time Nestor Cortez will get the start against Minnesota's Joe Ryan as for the Mets they're set to welcome in the Washington Nationals for the first of three tonight at 7.10 p.m. they've yet to name a starter to go up against Washington's Josiah Gray here with sports on 77 WABC I'm Justin Alec. we got a lot more to get to as we work our way up to the 6 o'clock hour Sid and friends in the morning President Biden going to be hosting the president of South Korea. Uh, Ron DeSantis is in Japan, making, of course, looking more like he's going to make a White House run. There's a murder mystery in Suffolk County that police need your help with. And um, people in two South Jersey towns are being told to have a bag packed just in case things go wrong with some barrels that were found there. We'll get into those stories and more. But first at 520, a check of Wall Street with Lou Dobbs. This is the 77 WABC Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Wall Street off to a slow start ahead of this week's technology reports. Stocks little change yesterday. The Dow up 66 points. The Nasdaq down slightly dragged lower by Tesla. Microsoft and Alphabet report today after the closing bell. Wall Street expects Microsoft revenue to have grown for a second consecutive quarter. Google job cuts likely helping Alphabet's bottom line. Investors looking for clues in how AI investments are affecting guidance. Both companies betting big on artificial intelligence, Meta and Amazon, reporting later in the week. Wall Street targeting quarterly profits with Pepsi's report today. Much like Coke, Pepsi's hiked prices to offset inflation costs. New Home sales likely fell last month, Wall Street targeting a slight decline. Please join me several times each weekday right here on 77 WABC. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Keep listening for more to 77 WABC for the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. 521, let's go down to the White House. President Biden says the three Tennessee lawmakers who have recently led those gun reform protests were two of them expelled. He says they were standing up for our kids in his, their communities. Uh, he welcomed them to the White House yesterday. Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, and Gloria Johnson. We talked about how Tennessee can be a model for the nation. We came as Tennessee lawmakers, but we didn't just come as, as, as legislators. We came uh, as voices of moral dissent as, as to what happened in our state. Jones, along with Pearson, was were expelled by the Republican majority for protesting on the House floor days after that deadly school shooting in Nashville. They have since been reinstated. Biden says what the Republican legislature did there was shocking and undemocratic. Justin Pearson gives his account of the meeting with the president yesterday. Well, we talked about, obviously, the issue of gun reform and the need to have more gun violence prevention uh, and the work that can be done potentially federally, but also at the state level. And President Biden hosting the president of South Korea at the White House this week. Our economic and people to people ties will be front and center on this visit. The Republic of Korea has invested over $100 billion in the United States. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan there says the two leaders will commemorate the 70th anniversary of the U.S.-South Korea alliance. This visit also marks 70 years of the U.S.-ROK alliance. We're celebrating the last seven decades of this alliance, and we're looking forward to the next seven decades. President Biden will welcome President Yoon for the White House's second official state visit this week, marking the first state visit by an Indo-Pacific leader during the Biden-Harris administration. 
All right, so later today, as we said earlier, it looks like the president will make it official that he's running in 2024. Much busier on the Republican side because of Biden announces you just have JFK, uh, you have Robert Kennedy Jr. who's running, but nobody else or has announced on the Democratic side. And the Republican side seems like everybody's announced. Governor Ron DeSantis, not one of them, but likely going to happen soon. And what is he doing? To bolster his presidential chops, he's flying overseas, meeting with leaders around the world. Now, in Japan yesterday, talking with the country's prime minister there to discuss the growing relationship between Japan and the U.S. really appreciate what a great ally Japan has been to the United States over many, many decades. And so we're, we're excited to be here to be able to explore more relations with Florida and Japan. The meeting part of an overseas trade mission that will see DeSantis stopping in South Korea, Israel, Great Britain. We've been talking to the airlines about maybe direct flights. We've been talking to uh, other businesses about opportunities. So the reporters who are following him, of course, just want to know whether he's going to make a run for the White House. I mean, it sure looks like he is. Uh, more on this visit to Japan. We believe Florida's market is a great opportunity for additional investment from Japanese companies. You're the number one foreign direct investment in America, Japan is, uh, which we appreciate. But you're only number six in Florida. Yeah, so he's couched this as a visit to help Florida, but uh, obviously when he's visiting all these countries, it sure looks like he's going to make that run for the White House. 525, let's bring it back home. There is a renewed call for help to solve a nearly year-old homicide in Suffolk County. A husband and loving father of two was shot and killed last August when he answered a knock at his door in Huntington Station. Yesterday, the Suffolk County Police Department highlighting this family's story as part of National Crime Victims Rights Week. Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison joined the family of Willie uh, Jimenez in the search for answers as to who shot him dead. What was the motive? He had just gone to answer the door. This was 1130 at night in August uh, after having dinner with his family. Willie went to go answer the door and Teresa heard two gunshots. She ran to the door and saw her husband laying on the floor. And that's where the trail goes cold. They have no more information. His killer not brought to justice. Police increasing reward money, hoping the investigation gets a much-needed boost. Jimenez's wife, two young daughters, his sister, and, and parents were all in attendance at this press conference yesterday. Here's his daughter. I just wanted to say that I really miss my dad and that I love him. He was really sweet. Loving. Yeah, we really have to find this killer, the pain for little Abigail, who you heard there. Still incredibly raw, as you might imagine. Her 32-year-old father was actually killed on her eighth birthday. And then as his uh, neighbors say, he was the real deal. And they don't believe he had any enemies. And they're still in mourning over the fact that he was shot dead last August as well. I cried for a whole month over this. This is very, very sad. I just, I just don't understand why anybody would want to do something like that. Yeah, so, of course, the thought is somebody out there knows something. The reward money keeps going up. 
Uh, it's yours if you can lead police to this killer, Jimenez's sister, pleading for anyone with information on this cold case to come forward. We're just getting started on this Tuesday morning. Before we head out of here, we'll tell you about people in two South Jersey towns impacted by 400 barrels of chemicals were that were found and how people in these two towns are being told to pack a bag just in case they have to leave. The fight for a new contract continues for the United Federations of Teachers. They were out yesterday giving leaflets to parents as they showed up for class. In Jersey City, they held their first ever marathon over the weekend, but all anybody wants to talk about are some of the losers. We'll get into that before the morning is on, is over. And um, some bicyclists here in the city uh, claiming that it's the police who get in the way of their bike lanes. We'll explain that as well. But first, this at 530. The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. This is the 77 WABC News Hour with Noah Layden. Yep, that's me, 532. Good morning. It's Tuesday, April 25th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today, high 59. Tonight, overnight, few passing clouds, low 45. Wednesday, mostly cloudy, high 60. If you are walking out the door with us now, 42 and partly cloudy up in Spring Valley in Rockland County, 37 in Princeton, New Jersey. And it is 46 scattered clouds here in Midtown. Lots to get to as we work our way up to 6 o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning. We'll start in South Jersey. People in two South Jersey towns impacted by toxic chemicals are being warned to get ready to leave just in case. The Office of Emergency Management, this is in Monmouth County, says 400 abandoned barrels at a former chemical plant and Farmingdale are posing a toxic threat to folks in that town and in neighboring Howe. They don't know exactly what all these chemicals are about. There has been explosions of some of these barrels apparently in the past, that according to some neighbors. So now they're trying to figure out what this has done to the soil and what maybe it's done to the town. Everybody should have a an evacuation plan or I got to get out of here plan and what do I do just in case I have to leave. Yeah, that's from the Office of Emergency Management, one of their leaders there, EPA crews. They've been on site trying to identify and clear out the chemicals, worried that they they might explode. Neighbors say those barrels have them freaking out a bit. This neighbor says actually she's seen them explode before. It was a while ago, but still she's worried. When my children were younger and we were coming home from school and we saw the lids exploding in the air. Yeah, so the site where the 400 barrels were found was once the home of a company that made glues adhesives and asphalt materials and that's what has people worried in both of these towns in south jersey 534 now uh let's go down to the texas border a public health rule that's used to expedite deportations at the border 
It ends in just over two weeks, and there's been predictions of just a flood of illegal immigration. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton thinks this is what the Biden administration wants. For the last two years, they've said there's no crisis, which, you know, belies the truth. More than a thousand migrants a day already coming across the border just in Brownsville, Texas, which is the very southern tip. Many are putting their lives at risk as evidenced by a deadly accident over the weekend there. People can just say, I'm here for asylum, and the Biden administration transports them for the cartels once they get in. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton says the administration has already ended what is known as catch and release, and he says they refuse to build a wall, and it's just making things miserable in Texas. And by the way, miserable here too, 50,000 Of those migrants that have come across the southern border have made their way here to New York City. Many of them aboard buses that were sent here. So it's no longer just a problem in Texas, but it's a problem in a lot of Democratic cities as well where they've been sent to, whether it be Philly, New York, others. They've just continued to encourage the cartels to to do what they're doing, which is bring as many people here as possible and we'll take them. Yeah, just a mess. 535, let's bring it back here to New York. The fight for a new contract continues for the United Federations of Teachers, a Federation of Teachers, as they take their concerns to the doors of schools around the city this week. This is like where they leaflet and paper parents as they show up to class to get them on their side. The union releasing the results of an all-member survey after educators reflected on their time in the workplace. Out of the nearly 75,000 teachers represented by the unions across the city, 87% say administrative tasks are getting in the way of student learning. And so, yeah, they want more money, but they say they also want more time to teach kids. Pose so many restrictions, so many um, demands on our teachers. They don't have time to to even teach sometimes. In order to serve the needs of our students and provide them with the supports that they truly need, we need to be able to do that without going into a classroom almost every week doing assessments that take so much time away from the work that we can really do in nurturing and supporting our students. You hear this from teachers across the board. They say uh, they they wish they could go back to the days where they just showed up with a great lesson plan and were able to teach. But now it's about teaching to the exams, state testing, and they say it's become a mess. Uh, UFT, by the way, bargaining with the city for a new contract for months. They do have parents on their side. The pandemic has had a, a tremendous toll on all all professions and um, with teachers especially they have to come back now and try to compensate for all of that loss not to even mention some of the environments are not even that safe like they're putting their lives on the line sometimes with uh, what's going on inside some of these schools the learning loss has just been huge since the pandemic union wants their new contract to provide a fair wage increase for educators allow more time to support students while spending less time on as unnecessary tasks and giving educators more preparation time all part of the deal they're trying to work out with the city. WABC News Time 539. Let's keep it here in New York City. New York City officials looking into whether to build charging stations for e-bikes as a possible way to lower the number of those related lithium-ion battery fires. They're trying to figure out everything to get people to either use first-rate chargers and batteries or maybe these stations that are outdoors so they can stop all these fatal fires. We simply cannot ignore the popularity and importance of micromobility. 
It is real, and e-bikes are here to stay. Councilwoman Jennifer Gutierrez there introducing a bill during a hearing that would establish a task force to see the feasibility of charging stations for e-bikes for delivery work use only. The task force would investigate if there would be lower fire risk and where to place them, and if there should be a fee if they set these things up. There's hundreds, of course, fires caused by these batteries in recent years, uh, five deadly ones just this year. E-bikes are an increasingly popular mode of transportation for both delivery works workers and everyday commuters who want to reduce their carbon footprint or seek alternatives as the MTA becomes more and more expensive. And city council members also introducing a number of new legislation bills or that would, they say, better protect cyclists and the NYPD. So uh, there was this moment at the city council hearing yesterday. The NYPD was there, a city councilman on the other side of the table. His name is uh, Lincoln Ressler. He said that the NYPD is at fault for blocking bike lanes across the city. They say if you go near a police precinct in the city, uh, police cars are parked in the bike lane and on sidewalks, making it hazardous. Here was the back and forth city council meeting yesterday. The idea that there's any enforcement or accountability around this issue at all is a joke. It's not a joke. And I do take it seriously. And I welcome any time you walk around one of those precincts to send me a picture and I will deal with it ASAP. So that's a member of the NYPD. IPD saying, hey, take pictures of uh, cars parked on sidewalks and in bike lanes, and he will make sure it doesn't happen again. I will point out, on my walk into work, I pass a police precinct on the east side here, and guess where the cars are parked? In the bike lanes and on the sidewalks. Uh, here's City Councilman Ressler. The very worst perpetrators are police officers themselves. You can go to any police precinct in the city, and you will find at least a dozen cars parked illegally on sidewalks, in bike lanes, making it unsafe for our community to get around. These are the same police officers who are responsible for enforcing the law. If they're not going to follow the law themselves, they're not enforcing it against anyone. And that's why we need to empower citizens. Could be easily solved by just opening up parks and spaces on those blocks where these police precincts are so those cars can be parked. But uh, uh, at least 10 cyclists have been killed so far this year here in the city. So they're trying to, of course, bring those numbers down. 542 out in Oklahoma. Protests held uh, over the weekend. McCurtain County, Oklahoma, more yesterday where audio recordings surfaced earlier this month. On that recording, the sheriff and other county officials could be heard making racial comments and what sounded like threats against the publisher of a local newspaper and his son, who is a reporter there. If we're back in the day, would that, like when Alan Marshall take a black and whoop their ass and throw them in the cell, I'd run sheriff. Governor Ken Stitt has asked the state attorney general to investigate Oklahoma NAAC president has given a deadline of tonight for the sheriff and other county leaders to resign. If they don't resign, he's vowing to ask the legislature to defund county government. So far, the only person to resign has been a county commissioner, who I guess was part of this phone call. We're not surprised by what we heard. Um, It's just the fact that we actually heard it. 543. Out to Jersey City, they held their first marathon ever over the weekend. It was an event that uh, 4,800 runners competed in. They'll never forget, got to see Jersey City. Several uh, bunch of people, though, who were parked in Jersey City say it is an event they'll never forget as well. There were signs plastered all over Jersey City on trees. Uh, Anywhere you looked 
in Jersey City before Sunday's marathon from Thursday forward. There are signs that said, don't park here on Sunday or your car will be towed. Well, uh, yesterday, there was just this huge line outside the towing pound in Jersey City with people who, yeah, had parked their car on the route. And uh, guess what? It got towed. I've been here for two hours. Uh, I had to pay $213.98 to get my car back. It's probably a money grab. I don't know. I can't have a lot of sympathy for them because there were just signs everywhere that said, don't park here Sunday or you'll be towed. But people like uh, Ariana Serrano did not pay attention. I was parked right on Neptune on the side of the store at Chewy's. Came to my car this morning and it was gone. It was gone. I couldn't even get to work. I had to call my boss to come pick me up. I actually didn't know there was a Jersey City Marathon until I saw somebody I know who ran in it posted on Instagram that there had been a Jersey City Marathon. No, oh, you're your dope then. Uh, race director Stephen Lipsky says the signage was there. He doesn't have a lot of sympathy for these people. It would have been better if they had posters up. Like there was. posters on there like was. all the poles or something because I didn't see that big sign on Garfield. There were posters everywhere. 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk in just an hour. Hey, Noam, did you have a question you want to ask me? <laughs> you have your headphones. <laughs> yeah, 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 I do. I'm on, uh, I'm on time. I was going to ask you, like I asked Joe, everybody's crazed that Aaron Rodgers is finally signed with the Jets. I don't know why it took so long. Yeah. But uh, I was asking Joe, and I'll ask you the same question, is he really the guy that can bring the Jets to the promised land? Uh, well, yeah, he's their best option, if that's, <laughs> if that's what you want to know. Okay. Yeah, he's better than anything they got going for him right well, now. Well, that's true. So. That's absolutely true. Yeah, listen, I mean, uh, everybody knows good and well that in the NFL, if you want to win a Super Bowl, you're going to need a uh, big-time quarterback to do so. And the Jets got their guy. So it's all about just winning one because he's not going to be around long. He's an old guy. <laughs> for the Jets, it's all about winning one. Yes. Okay. So you got to start, right. start somewhere. All right. Gnome. Good enough. <laughs> We're not talking about a dynasty here already. Uh, so. There you go. Aaron Rodgers is indeed headed to the debt, uh, Jets uh, for the 2023 season. Packers agreed to deal the superstar quarterback and the 2023 first-round pick and a 2023 fifth-round pick to the Jets for New York's 2023 first-round pick, uh, 2023 second-round pick, a 2023 sixth-round pick, and a conditional 2024 second-round pick that becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of the plays this season. The blockbuster comes 40 days after Rodgers announced on the Pat McAfee show that his intention, quote-unquote, was to play for the Jets in 2023, forcing negotiations between the Jets and Packers to dominate the NFL headlines in the weeks thereafter. Now for local action. Last night, let's begin on the ice, where we saw the Rangers' momentum in their opening round playoff series against the rival Devils completely switch hands in the form of a 3-1 to loss to New Jersey in Game 4, effectively making the Blue Shirts' dominating start to the series a distant memory now that things are suddenly knotted at two games apiece, even though the score reflected a close game last night. New York was overmatched in pretty much every facet of the game. Head coach Gerard Gallant made that point abundantly clear in his post-game Remarks. I feel like there wasn't enough, not commitment, you guys obviously were trying, but just not enough desperation to get to the spots you needed to be in. Agree 100%. Yeah. Very disappointing. I get not good. Not good enough. Not even close to good enough. Not even close to good enough indeed. With the win, the Devils, uh, or with the win, Devils, New Jersey, now retains the home ice advantage as the series heads back to Newark for Game 5, set for this Thursday night. The Islanders have Game 5 of their series with the Carolina Hurricanes set for tonight at 7 p.m. in Carolina. They'll be working to hopefully dig themselves out of a 3-1 series hole. And finally, on the diamond yesterday, the Yankees fell 6-1 in their three-game series opener in Minnesota against the Twins. Johnny Brito, he's got to get off the hill. I mean, he just, he just can't, he can't start games anymore for New York. He's unable to get himself out of the second inning again last 
last night. While the offense was nowhere to be found either en route to the bomber loss, he'll try and rebound in the middle game tonight, set for 7.40 p.m. Eastern time. Nestor Cortez will get the start against Minnesota's Joe Ryan. As for the Mets, they're set to welcome in the Washington Nationals for the first of three tonight at 7.10. They've uh, they've yet to name a starter to go up against Washington's Josiah Gray. Here was sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellick. Let's catch you up on some of the biggest stories of the morning jury selection set to begin this morning in the civil rape trial involving former President Trump. The charges filed in New York by writer E. Jean Carroll, who claims Trump assaulted her in a Manhattan department store dressing room back in the 1990s. Joe Tacopina is Trump's lawyer, will be in court today. He was on Sid and Friends in the morning yesterday talking about how this trial will be odd in a couple different ways. One is he says uh, Trump doesn't even know this woman. But second of all is they will do a jury pool today, pick jury members today, and also do opening arguments today. I've had jury selections in cases with much less notoriety where it's taken weeks to get a juror. But I'm told I'm told this judge plans on picking a jury within a couple of hours. So right now the plan is to possibly, I should say, possibly open tomorrow afternoon or Wednesday morning. She also claims, E.G. Carroll, that Trump ruined her reputation by denying that attack. The former president responding on social media saying he does not know E.G. Carroll. Trump may have to pay damages if he's found liable. The trial expected to last about a week. Uh, United Airlines flight bound for Israel landing back in Newark after a passenger got into a shouting match with a crew member. Apparently, he went to use the bathroom and then sat in one of those crew seats that are sometimes right next to the bathroom. A crew member told him to get up. He said he would not. She said she would turn around the flight if he didn't stop arguing with her. He did not believe the threat was real. And guess what? They turned around the flight three hours in, went back to Newark. Those passengers had to get off and get on another flight to Israel. And then this bizarre moment on an American Airlines flight, a passenger taken into custody after a flight from JFK to New Delhi yesterday. There was an argument on board between two passengers on the American flight 292 that ended with one passenger urinating on another. You can't make this stuff up. All right, 553. How about this happy story of people doing good things? A Westchester Medical Center doctor is in Ukraine performing life-altering surgeries on injured Ukrainian soldiers. He's also teaching his techniques to local surgeons there. His name is Dr. Augustine Moscatello. Uh, he does facial reconstruction surgeries. This is the second time that he's visited the war-torn country. To be reminded that it's a major tragedy that's occurring in this country, and we, we should not forget what's happening here. In- many, many young men with various, obviously, war-related injuries, patched heads, patched eyes, uh, lost arms, legs, uh, people in wheelchairs. Dr. Moscatella talking to News 12, part of a team of international doctors. He says he's proud of the work he's done. Large number of eye injuries, facial injuries. When you see that the look on people's faces after you've uh, provided a service for them that they know they wouldn't have gotten if uh, someone from another country did not come. Part of our program is not only to serve the patients, but also train, uh, train physicians that have an interest in learning 
reconstructive techniques, and we're doing that for the first time. So they're going to perform more than 30 surgeries on Ukrainian soldiers before leaving uh, this coming Saturday, all while they're training Ukrainian surgeons their reconstructive techniques. So great job done by Westchester Medical Center Dr. Augustine Moscatello. We salute you. Out to Hoboken. The latest metropolitan area trying to join the war against rats. Of course, here in the city, we named a rat czar. Hoboken, they don't have a rat czar, but the city saw an increase in rats after the pandemic on admission to implement rodent mitigation tactics to eliminate the unwanted pests. I call her Rizzo, Rizzo the rat. <laughs> she lives under my deck. And I see her come out in the middle of, like, at nighttime when I'm swinging in my hammock. She runs across the yard. I'm like, well, there goes Rizzo. So yesterday, the Hoboken Business Alliance reported success with a city bin pilot program that was launched last fall. The bins are these fully enclosed and elevated off the ground to prevent rodents from accessing trash. They're not cheap, but they apparently work pretty well. I think it's really happened since COVID. Uh, anytime you leave uh, things undisturbed nature comes back and because we are a city that's moving more green you know as you can see here that you know there's a lot more places for them to hide city council says uh six businesses involved in this pilot program that will grow if it works and it seems to be City council passed a contract for another thirty-five thousand dollars to work with paramount exterminators um they're going through and doing weekly treatments as soon as we identify problem areas my number one job as a legislator locally is to get constituent feedback and hear what's going on for people, whether it's, you know, they're walking their dog late at night before bed, whether it's early in the morning. Unfortunately, they're seeing this. Um, and so we're taking reports from people to know where our problem areas are and then treat it accordingly. All right. I guess they're never going to eradicate rats. But if you can lower the population, that's always a good thing. And finally, a New Jersey Little League organization implementing a creative new rule in an attempt to cut down on spectators fighting with volunteer umpires. I, I can remember this happening when I watched my kids play Little League for years. Officials with the Little League uh, in Deptford Township say a small number of spectators yell at umpires for calls they don't like. Again, this is that, you know, like kids game. They think that the call was bad, which always amazes me that they can see a strike better over there than the umpire can right there one foot in back. <laughs> He's right about that. League officials say they lose volunteer umpires because they don't like being abused by the parents every year. They're coming here. They're being abused. They don't need that. So they're walking away. So now league officials say anyone who fights with umps could find themselves making the calls. And so this season, Deptford Township Little League is trying out this new rule. If you fight with the umps during a game, you're one of those obnoxious parents, you'll have to volunteer your time to umpire three games before you're allowed back as a spectator. What a great idea. The main purpose is not for them to be able to call a baseball game, for them to see what's going on out here, and it's not that easy. If the parents are going to be sitting there yelling the whole entire game, they might as well use that energy like out on the field. Yeah, good idea by the Deptford Little League Department. I bet uh, other uh, departments will pick that up as well.